Well, if you were with us last week, you know that uh, we began the second half of the Beatitudes. Uh, the Beatitudes being that first part of Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. And if you have been with us over the, the past several weeks, you know that that is found at the beginning of Matthew chapter 5. And if you've been using the Bible under the chair in front of you, you may remember we have been on Matthew, we have been on page 809 for quite some time. That's where we'll start today, but we will flip the page today. Because today we come to the sixth beatitude, uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. And as you know, the beatitudes, in the beatitudes, Jesus lists eight kingdom qualities, eight kingdom of God characteristics that, that mark a Christian, a characteristics that should continually be growing in a follower of Jesus. Well, before we hear today's uh, beatitude, today's text, let's take a moment to pray. Once again, Lord, we come to you, to you, the God of life and love, of justice and mercy, the God of grace. And once again, we would ask that you would open the eyes of our hearts, that we might see Jesus that we might see him more clearly. That at this time we might see the living word in and through your written word. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. So Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. Hear the word of God. Seeing the crowds... Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And this is the word of God. So let's turn to it now. Over the past several days as I have been studying this passage, this verse, uh, there has been a, a scene from a movie that came out several years ago, a scene that has kept coming to mind. A scene that, that many of you may be familiar with, even if you haven't seen the movie itself, because I think it was part of the, the trailer, and it, and it was a, a gripping uh, scene. Uh, it's from the movie simply entitled Ray, the story, story of Ray Charles, uh, played uh, brilliantly by Jamie Foxx. I mean, if you have seen it, it, sometimes you just could not tell, is it Jamie Foxx or is this Ray Charles? Uh, he, he actually took home the Oscar that year uh, for Best Actor in a Leading Role. In the scene that I'm, I'm thinking of, and of course I'm assuming that you know Ray Charles was blind, and, and famous for those dark shaded glasses uh, that he always wore. And the, this scene, it's a, a young Ray Charles, and he's on a, a first date. Uh, I believe that, that the two have just met, and so he is sitting across the table uh, from a young woman. And they're sitting in the middle of, of a restaurant. And there's a lot of hustle and bustle, as there would and, and be in a restaurant, a lot of conversations taking place. Uh, it is a, a beautiful day, just like 
today the, the sun is shining and, and they're sitting in the middle of this restaurant and he begins the conversation with something like this. Didn't you sing tenor in Jesus is my shepherd, which was a performance that she had just done with a whole lot of other people? Well, she's startled and she says, well, well yes, I did. How, how did you pick me out of all the people? And he says something like this. Well, you see with your eyes, but I see with my ears. I see by listening. Kind of like I see the hummingbird outside the window over there. And the window is about as far away as it is for me here at this moment. And sure enough, she turns stunned to see that there is a hummingbird that he has seen. And what I love about this picture and why it has always gripped me so much is because I think it, ex it expresses so well that, that sight often goes beyond our physical eyes. And that's a lot of what this passage, this verse is getting at this morning. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today. Uh, the Beatitude, uh, as each of them does, has two parts, and so that's how we're going to look at it. Uh, first, purity of heart, and then seeing God. Uh, purity of heart, what does it mean to be pure in heart? And then seeing God, what does it mean to see God? For as Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And so first, purity of heart. What, what does it mean to be pure in heart? In heart. It, it's clear that the words in heart indicate the type of purity that Jesus is speaking about here. Now, we, we often think of the heart in terms of, of feelings, the seat of emotions. We might speak in, in terms of head, heart, and hands, or engaging our hearts and our minds. That, that's much of our English usage today, and that's fine. But when we come to the Bible, we need to look at it from a biblical standpoint. How is that biblical imagery uh, captured? What, what, does, what, what is the heart from a biblical standpoint? Well, the Greek word is cardia. may sound familiar to you because it's where we get our English word cardiac. Uh, it refers to the very center of a person, the very core of someone, uh, the home of human feeling, thinking, and willing. And so it encompasses much more than our English use of the word heart today. The biblical term heart encompasses the emotions, the mind, the will. Again, it's the human center, the very core of who someone is. And so Jesus is blessing those who are centered at the very core, who are centered on God. Now, if you have been in the church for some time or you have read your Bible uh, at least a little bit, you may realize that Jesus' assessment of the heart, it, it's not very encouraging. Uh, later in Matthew chapter 15, Jesus states, out of the heart, out of the core of a person, come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander, and so on. This uh, echoes the prophet Jeremiah who stated, 
The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And so any biblical reference to the heart points both to the center of our human personality and also to the source of our human problem. Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart. The pure. So what is it to be pure? Well, the word for pure in Greek is katharis. It's where we get our English words cathartic and catharsis. It means to clean, to cleanse. It means unmixed, unalloyed, unadulterated, as in pure gold or pure maple syrup. I mean, when you go grocery shopping, you have a choice. Your, your pancakes or your waffles, they need syrup. And so there's the artificial colored and flavored, and then there is the pure maple syrup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm with you. The pure maple syrup from Vermont, right? Right, Kathy, from Vermont. That's where you get it. It's unmixed, unalloyed, unadulterated. As one commentator says, the, the pure in heart, therefore, means unmixed at the center, unalloyed at the center, unadulterated at the center. In other words, undivided. Jesus is saying, blessed are those who are undivided, who are centered on God. On the one hand, Jesus is speaking about those whose hearts are morally clean. Uh, No doubt his words reflect Ezekiel's uh, prophecy, if you're familiar with it, uh, chapter 36, where Ezekiel states, or God, he, he is speaking for God, I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you shall be clean from all your impurities. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, a heart that is responsive to God. And so on the one hand, it begins with a a new heart righteousness. Dennis elaborated on this a couple of weeks ago with the beatitude about hungering and thirsting for righteousness. So on the one hand, it begins with a new heart righteousness. On the other hand, as Sinclair Ferguson points out, this purity of which the Old Testament speaks is not only a matter of cleanliness, although it involves such, but it's also a matter of sincerity and commitment. Commitment of one's heart to the Lord. And and the background for that statement lies in Psalm 24, where we read this. David writes, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? It is he who has clean hands and a pure heart. Who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek to see the face of God. In other words, those who may stand in the Lord's holy presence have clean hands and a pure heart. 
You see, they don't lift up their souls to falsehood. They don't live their lives except toward truth. Ferguson continues. The impurity involved here is the impurity of compromise and accommodation. The impure heart is not simply unclean. It is undecided and divided. It is characteristic of the man that James describes as double-minded and therefore unstable in all his ways. Now, there's a book title that that captures this meaning of purity so well. Just just simply the the title. Uh, Some of you may know the name Soren Kierkegaard, a Danish uh, theologian philosopher. But if you don't, the title says it all. Purity of heart is to will one thing. That's the title. Purity of heart is to will one thing. Focused. Committed. Again, Jesus is saying, blessed are those who are centered on God. To be totally centered on God. Fully focused. Uncompromisingly dedicated. Completely committed. And yet we all fall short. All of us. And we don't like it, do we? We don't like it. And so uh, D.A. Carson offers a, a helpful warning. He says, Purity of heart must never be confused with outward conformity to rules. Because something might look good on the outside, but don't be deceived by appearances, right? Don't confuse appearance with reality. For example, t- take a look outside for a moment. It, it's a beautiful spring day. Uh, skies are, are blue, a few clouds. The sun, I mean, the, the sun is shining, low humidity. It's a little cool and crisp right now, warming up. It's going to be around 70. Great day. And as you look out the window, it's like, wow. And the air is, is pure and clean. Or is it? No, you know it's not. It, it's springtime. It's pollen season. And maybe you've already had the experience where you're, you're, you're headed home at the end of the day from somewhere, something you've been doing, maybe it's work, and, and you wash your car. And if you park your car outside, what happens? You get up the next morning, and there's a nice yellow film of pollen. And so you drive really fast to get the pollen off. <laughs> and it's there the next time you go out to your car. You know, the air may appear clean and pure. But the insidious nature of pollen is like the insidious nature of sin. It covers anything and everything even without being noticed. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Well, just as we're helpless in the fight against pollen, so in and of ourselves we are helpless in the fight against sin. Because we can't can't make ourselves pure. Only God can make us pure. And so what do we do? We look to him. We seek to see God, which leads to the second part of the beatitude. 
So second, seeing God. What, what does it mean to see God? Because that, that's the blessing, that's the promise, to see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for what? For they shall see God. Well, there, there's an important question about this promise. Is, is the blessing present or future? Is this something for now or, or just talking about something later? And the answer is yes. Yes, it, it's, it's both. So we're back to that already not yet idea. The already not yet component to this promise, as with every uh, beatitude, with every blessing that we've been talking about over the past several weeks. The whole idea that we taste in part now, but we don't yet have the fullness of the blessing. We taste in part now, but we will feast in fullness later in the future. You know, it's like those samples that you get in the mail sometimes. Uh, it's so you can try the product out. So that you can, you can taste and see. You can see if you like it. And if you like it, what are you going to do? You're going to go out and buy it so you can feast on it. Now, that might not work so well with the, the shampoo products that come in the mail. But my favorite are the cereal box. A new cereal comes out. Now, the disappointing thing is there's like only five flakes in there. But it's just enough for you to taste and see that it's good. So that you can go out and get it and you can feast on it later. Okay, so it's just like that. Well, not really. Because God is not selling you anything. He is giving you something. He is giving you a gift. A gift that you get to taste in part now, and it is not some cheap sample packet. It is real, substantive stuff now. And yet, at the same time, that's not all there is, because there is more to come. So there's the, the fulfillment, the future fulfillment, which is what we so deeply long for. Come, Lord Jesus, come. But there's also the present reality for us to enjoy now. now one day, just as, as, as Valerie spoke of, a moment ago, one day we were promised in Revelation 22 that we will see God face to face. One day we will see him, to use the words of John in his first letter, one day we will see him just as he is. But what about today? What about the present reality? Well, let's stick with the Apostle John for just a moment. At the, uh, at the beginning of John's gospel, uh, he writes that no one has ever seen God. No one has ever seen God. And then near the end of John's gospel, Jesus says, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. But then sandwiched in between, in, in John chapter 14, Jesus says, Whoever has seen me, Jesus, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Whoever has seen me has seen God. Uh, it's like a friend of mine once put it. In Jesus, the unseen has become seeable. In Jesus, the unseen has become seeable. 
Okay, so, so how do we see Jesus? Well, the Apostle Paul makes it clear at the start of Ephesians. He writes, Ephesians 1.18, that it's the eyes of our hearts that are enlightened. Seeing beyond the physical eyes. Seeing with the eyes of our hearts. It is through the eyes of our hearts that we see Jesus. The eyes of faith. Because in the end, believing is seeing. Blessed are those who have not seen with physical eyes and yet have believed. Seeing with the eyes of their hearts. Believing is seeing. Or in the words of R.C. Sproul, we see God through the insight of faith and repentance. We see God through the insight of faith and repentance. Okay, think about it like this. If you're wearing a pair of eyeglasses, spectacles, I actually found some from VBS last year. I think they look quite good on me. So you're wearing a pair of glasses, as I see, I see better now, some of you actually are. But you've got to look through both lenses to see clearly, right? And what happens if you take out one of the lenses? Well, it distorts your vision. Well, so it is with the gospel. You need the two lenses of repentance and faith to see Jesus. You must look through both lenses to see Jesus. Clearly. And Paul makes it clear in Colossians 2 6, we continue the Christian life the very same way that we began it. And how did we begin? In repentance and faith. How do we continue? Daily repentance and faith. And so that's why we hit that time and time and time again from up here. Repentance, seeing our sin, our need for a Savior, faith, seeing the cross. And God's provision of that Savior. Repentance. Turning from our sin again and again and again. Faith. Turning to our Savior again and again and again. Day after day. Day after day. As we look through the gospel lenses of repentance and faith. The eyes of our hearts are able to better focus. And we're better able to see the beauty and power of God. Because we see Jesus more clearly. Take off the glasses and you can't see clearly. Remove either of the lenses, either one, and your vision is distorted. Are you seeing Jesus clearly? Do you want to? Do you want to see him more clearly? Put on the gospel glasses and look through repentance and faith, repentance and faith, and see. Jesus promises here in our verse today that the pure in heart will see God. And John tells us in in 1 John chapter 3 that everyone who has hope in him, that is everyone who looks to Jesus, He tells us that everyone who has hope in him purifies himself just as he, Jesus, is pure. You see, as we continually look to Jesus, we continually grow in purity of heart. And thus continually grow in seeing him more and more clearly. 
Uh, the name uh, Peter Kraft, uh, some of you may know that name as well, a Christian philosopher. Uh, I know, I, I think he may still be a professor up at uh, King's College, still there in Manhattan. Uh, and he, uh, he states this. We attain purity of heart not merely by the imitation of Christ, but by the incorporation into Christ, the Christ who has, the Christ who is perfect purity of heart. Okay, do, do, you, do, you, do you remember uh, when Peter, the disciple Peter, when he first met Jesus you remember what happened, he, how he was immediately aware, immediately aware of just how impure he was. And do you remember what he did? He fell down at the feet of Jesus and cried out, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Well, when I was in seminary, uh, a, a fellow student, a guy named uh, Steve Waldschmidt, uh, Steve was, a, was an actor from, uh, from Calgary, Alberta, uh, and, and a fellow student, and he wrote a short play on that scene for one of our classes. And in the play, he has Peter say to Jesus, Go away from me, Jesus, because I will make you dirty. To which he has Jesus respond by saying, No, Peter, you will not make me dirty. I will make you clean. I will make you pure of heart. Again, as we look to Jesus, as, as, as we cling to him day in and day out, he makes us pure in heart. And as we grow in purity of heart, we see him more clearly. Blessed are the pure in heart, for you shall see God. And so brothers and sisters, fix your eyes on him. Fix the eyes of your heart on Jesus, who is not only the author of, but also the perfecter of your faith. Thanks be to God. Amen.